Exit Pupil, Part 3. Written by Mr. Tyler. Produced by Luz LLC Productions. As Rolick began analyzing Kelsar 12B, the other synthetics were making their way out of the transport ship and onto the alien landscape. Each one had a job, and that was their sole purpose. Some were emissary types that were trained in diplomacy and to remain passive when meeting a new life form. They were meant to establish communications with newfound life, but oftentimes they would be sent to a slaughter in an unknown hostile environment. Other synthetics were collectors. Their purpose was to collect samples of the planet and its inhabitants to be sent back to the Federation for further testing. A standard first contact transport ship, or CTS, housed a hundred synthetic humans, each with specific skill sets in order to do one of three things. First, establish communication with intelligent life. Second, analyze the planet and search for valuable resources to be mined. And then there was the third thing. If intelligent life is found, attempt diplomacy, and if that fails, then follow protocol and destroy all hostile life on the planet. One shot from the particle beam, or main cannon, on a Federation starship is enough to obliterate an Earth-sized planet in less than an hour. Hitting with the force of 9,000 megaton nuclear warheads, sending a shockwave that starts at one single point on the planet and wraps it in a wall of volcanic ash 1,000 feet high. Within an hour, a planet teeming with life would be nothing but ash, losing even its atmosphere in the process. The Federation sent synthetics in place of true-born humans for obvious reasons. They were expendable in the event that they would run into a hostile environment either by the planet's composition or its inhabitants. You lose a hundred synthetics, no big deal. There's a hundred thousand more that can take their place. But you lose a starship full of true-born astronauts? Well, that's not acceptable, nor do the investors want to be a part of endangering a trueborn. Each transport ship had enough synthetics and tools to begin colonization if needed. With no skill set overlooked, there were doubles of each as well to ensure its data was conclusive. Rolick, however, had a skill set unlike any of the colonizers. She was one of 25 synthetics created to serve as a security detachment for the rest of them. Armed to the teeth, Rolick and 24 other synthetics made a perimeter around the others, moving in uniform unison as they positioned themselves in a circle around the ship. Perfect increments between them were formed while they were facing out looking for anything that could be a threat. Once the outer cordon was established, Rolick heard the designated ground commander report the all-clear. Rolick watched as the other synthetics began trickling out of the transport ship. Fucking robots, Rolick said under her breath. Most synthetics, like the colonizing types meant for building and measuring, lack any kind of personality or social skills. They move like robots and have no reason to communicate with other synthetics because they were programmed in specific detail, with protocols set for any kind in all scenarios. Mindless worker bees. Synthetics who have been through multiple evolutions are the ones who become the soldier class like Rolick. 
they're allowed to retain a very small amount of free will and thought because of the need for them to be able to make decisions on the fly about whether or not to kill or capture something. They needed to be somewhat flexible in order to do that, and the trade-off was that the Federation had to leave them with a little bit of their attitude. As Rolex scanned the horizon, moisture from her breathing apparatus was accumulating on her chin. The heat from the system's twin neutron stars was becoming an issue as the temperatures were reaching almost 150 degrees on the surface. Both suns were visible above, with one filling roughly a third of the sky and the other no bigger than Earth's moon. The sky was a violet hue, with pinks and oranges streaking through the atmosphere from the bigger of the two stars feeding off the smaller, pulling the star apart slowly. The rough platinum ground created rolling hills that glistened from the light of the twin stars that Kelsar 12b orbited. It was like standing on a hot stove. There were massive mountain ranges covered in giant peaks made of rough diamond that protruded throughout the range. Rolex's scanner picked up an anomaly within 400 kilometers of her position. It was something of a rhythm. A signal which consisted of light and faint radio waves pulsing in perfectly timed patterns. This was not natural phenomenon. This was intelligent. Rolex's eyes went red as her neural network implanted in her brain began encrypting the data she was receiving from the pulses. Gravel-sized pieces of platinum started jumping off the ground all around Rolex's feet. She quickly noticed that this wasn't random. They were popping off the ground in unison with the pulse waves that were getting steadily stronger as time passed by. Rolick noticed her right leg was moving away from her, slowly inching away from the rest of her body. The ground to her left in between her and the other soldier synthetic began to roll outward from what seemed like a center line. Solid platinum turned to liquid and it was spewing out of the ground, expanding as it rolled out like lava from a volcano. It quickly reached the ramp of the starship, bringing it off balance, and it began to sink into the rolling hot platinum. Other synthetics close by were swallowed by the new lake of liquid platinum. Rolick watched as they mindlessly sank into the molten hot metal, not making a sound. Rolick snapped too when the ground commander gave the order to move to the, the cordon to a peak about two miles away. Nothing but a rough field of solid platinum was between her and her objective. The peak was diamond. Hopefully, if this continued to spread, they could take shelter on the diamond peaks. Sweat fell off her chin and hit the ground as Rolex started her move to the peak. But something made her stop. She looked back at the landing site. The transport ship was almost fully submerged, and the last of the synthetics were making their way toward the security cordon. Rolex shouted at the remaining 34 synthetics to attempting to escape to hurry up. As she waved them through into the moving cordon, she whispered once again, Let's go. Let's all just go. Thirty-five hundred light years away, Earth was in a frenzy. The shockwave from Kelsar 12b had moved through the nebula at speeds five times the speed of light. It reached Earth, and when it hit, people went mad. 
just like what happened to Commander Walkup and the crew on the Nebula Command Fleet. The streets were flooded with crazed people attacking each other. Cars were off the road, fires broke out. Even the officials at the Federation's Earth headquarters had turned on their co-workers. People were seen running after each other, and when they reached them, they would pounce at the other's head, throwing their entire body into them, knocking them on the ground. Once pinned, they would begin pulling off pieces of the victim's face and head. A dark violet plasma oozing from their throat and burning through their cheeks, dripping slowly. Meanwhile, on one of Jupiter's moons called Europa, the SpaceX Confederation, or SPX, was a European company turned exoplanet government focused on mining the solar system for profit. They had heard of the chaos on Earth and attempted to exterminate what seemed like an outbreak on Earth by firing a nuclear missile from their headquarters on Europa, one of Jupiter's moons that was the first to be colonized after the Exploration Pact was signed. The nuclear missile was loaded with silver nitrate and ammonia. SPX's intentions were to perform a technique called cloud seeding, which is where you inject certain chemicals into an atmosphere and in turn it causes violent storms, and in this case, ten super tornadoes that formed right outside the old historical White House Museum. The tornadoes were so massive that the eye on some of them were over four miles wide, decimating Washington in minutes. 1,000 mile per hour winds and cars being thrown like pebbles, hitting with such force that they were almost flat once they quit moving. Bodies of the effective were thrown so high into the funnel of the tornado that they almost reached orbit, oftentimes getting ripped in half on the way down by an entire city's debris circling the funnel. SPX didn't want to start an orbital battle with Earth. But when the president's advisors told her that whatever it was, it was spreading quick and could jeopardize operations and life on Europa, President Miller decided that a natural disaster would be easier to explain than an all-out nuclear attack on her home world's government buildings. Word of the chaos on Earth spread to all colonized planets within 3,500 light-years. Each of its leaders made their decisions on how to contain the terrible events that was happening on Earth. In the end, four factions fired nuclear weapons at Earth, and another faction destroyed every space station orbiting Earth using an arc emitter, ensuring that no living thing was ever getting off Earth and into their newfound worlds. Within a week, Earth was back in the Stone Age, all human life destroyed if not from the cloud seeding, nuclear attacks, and arc emitter, then from the thick cloud of ash that engulfed the Earth blocking all sunlight from reaching the surface and sucking all the oxygen out and into space. Earth was no longer the beautiful blue marble, teeming with life. It was nothing but a brown, black, lifeless wasteland, its terrain twisted and broken, lurking underneath the death and ash. This concludes Part 3 of Exit Pupil.